and welcome to Map Bites episode 84. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, a visit to the dark side and glorious new tech. But first, we heard from lots and lots of lovely MacBiters. So, firstly, listener Lynn regarding databases. Yeah, she said, I haven't found anything short of FileMaker to replace Bento, so I'll keep using Bento for now, because Tapforms currently doesn't handle the graphics. I think Elaine is right. Ah. Carry on. Deliberate pause there. Yes, I noticed that. Reaction. Very subtle. Not. I think Elaine is right. The form aspects help you focus. I have multiple databases in Bento. I I think the form aspects helps you focus as well. Um, so I think that was the the killer feature of Bento. Yeah. Well, I thought because other than that, when you actually looked at it, it did have a table view. So really, all it was was it was a view on top of a spreadsheet. Yeah, I've always said that in Access that that the form view is better because it's more flexible and more powerful. But she says, I have multiple databases in Bento from what varieties of plants and veggies are in my yard to an inventory of all my embroidery software patterns. I can focus on just the JPEGs with the titles and easily select the designs or plants I want details on. Something that will be very tedious in a spreadsheet. And I'm sure I'm sure hopes that, that someone steps in with a better replacement soon. That's uh, a couple of good examples, actually, of um, using a database. You know, I, I said I couldn't think of any uh, any non-corporate ways of, of using a database. There's a couple of good examples. Yeah, I think people do have because of things that they work with and that it would work best with a database. Some stuff, my stuff, for instance, I could get away with a spreadsheet. Uh, where I think a spreadsheet would struggle with mine, which if you if you didn't hear the last show, if you didn't hear the last show, not on. Uh, no, but if you didn't hear it, it was Really, what I'm looking for is something for a virtual filing cabinet or an index to a virtual filing cabinet. It doesn't actually have to have the data in it, does it? No. The data's actually in physical files in the filing cabinet. I am looking to downsize that filing cabinet, so it would be very handy if I could keep the metaphor of the drawers and the folders, but actually put data in it, and then a spreadsheet just won't cope. You can link from a spreadsheet, can't you, to files? Yes. But the files would have to be, you'd then have to maintain a manual structure and if you, to link to them. if you move the files, then you've broken the link. Exactly, which isn't really what I want. Yeah, I agree. Those are very good examples. But, you know, it's, again, it's the physicality of it, isn't it? You've got the images and you want to refer to them. There's other things that you can do with databases, but that focus is what gets me. Because otherwise, I'm looking at my index to my filing cabinet and I'm seeing everything. Whereas in Bento, it was file by file. And I don't know about you, but I'm always trying to rush through a job. So if I've got it in a table, I'm thinking, I'm looking at like line 10 and my eyes are going down to 15, whereas I can focus if it's in a form. We are going to have to do something with that. We are. I looked at Bento on my machine the other day and it's still purring along nicely and my my one database that's critical is still in there, but I, I, I'm looking at it thinking, I know that I'm not using this as much as I should be because now I'm having problems thinking it's going to go away and I now don't want to rely on it. So it's quite, this isn't like a technical issue. This is like more of a mental issue of I'm pulling away from it. I mentally don't want to rely on it anymore. So it's that trust aspect we've talked about in relation to GTD. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So I need to find something that I can trust, and it sounds like Lynn's on the same path. So we need we need to do a show on that. We certainly do. And I believe you're planning it. I certainly am. Oh, the organisation. 
Anyway, back to the lovely MacBiters. And we have a new, a new lovely MacBiter. Young William Hartley is a, a young coder and he's just joined the MacBites listing family. So a very welcome to you, William. I wonder what he's going to make of all our insanity here. I don't know, but... Um, Poor lad. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also Carrie, a long-term MacBiter, who admitted, wait for it, to being somewhat delinquent in the listening department. You see, they say they want more MacBytes, and what happens when they get it? Can't cope. No. Mm. And we heard from Graham as well, who you tempted to spend money. <sighs> My work here is done. He bought airmail, which he... Um, that was on the was that the last show, I think it was. I can't remember. Done. That was the show. Wait for it. Yesterday. Yesterday. Mm. We've done that many. I can't remember. Losing track. Losing mind. He said it was excellent. Well, as Graham pointed out, he did get off rather lightly at pound fifty. I must try harder. Yes. I'll get straight onto that, Graham. <laughs> now, you've got to be very worried because, you know, things like Photoshop then appear, as does bankruptcy. And we also heard from the fabulous Nick Green. And he said either we've, we're both bored. We're never bored, are no. we? No. So I think his second alternative was, was the better one. Or we've just flipped. Yes. Seven MacBytes in seven days. I'd say ah. we've flipped. No, no, no. What it was, Nick, a promise is a promise integrity i i swore this was in the days when i thought that apple were never going to release iwork obviously and i made that that insane promise to minster so i'm delivering on my promise i always keep my promises anyway nick's got lots to say he's got lots of little notes here about lots of software and i must agree with everything he said which i usually do don't i mm. ah very sensible man is nick he mentioned Scrivener and he said he loves Scrivener too, one of the best apps he's ever used. And uh, he points out there is supposedly an iPad version coming this year, which I didn't mention. But yes, you're right. I've heard that too. Um, they've never really been in a rush when it comes to developing their software. And that usually means that, you know, the software is lacking features that you want, but you can't say that about Scrivener. It's fantastic. But it's taken them four years, but apparently this year is the year and there will be an iPad version. I can't wait personally. I, I just, I live in Scrivener. Absolutely love it. Don't write anywhere else really. Dabbled with Byword a bit, but I actually now just go to Scrivener and write a markdown in Scrivener. So, um, Got to agree with Scrivener. I remember being on a podcast ages ago. Do you remember Mac 20 Questions? Yeah. And he asked me a difficult question, which was, you know, what's the one app you wouldn't want to be without? And I was spoilt for choice. But in the end, I came down to Scrivener because there just really is nothing like it at all. Then Nick mentions Aperture. Oh, now, I know Nick loves Aperture and I'd like to be able to use Aperture. It just, I don't think Aperture likes me, does it? I, I'm beginning to think it's personal because Nick has no trouble at all with it. So I think it's personal. But he does make a very interesting point that although he's still using it and loves it, he's looking forward to an update. That sounds like me and I work. But he fears that Apple may well dumb it down, which is the route they've taken with iWork and Final Cut. And I've got to agree. It's the I, way they're going, isn't it? That I think that's more than possible. But like he says, they do then tend to sort of build it back up don't they like mm. final cut 10.1 has got a lot of features that were missing initially and he says he understands why they have to do it and i do myself but it, again he makes the point it's painful when you use it and i agree when you use something in the way he uses aperture and i use some of my stuff it's agonizing to see features that you are critical to you not just that you think are critical but they really are critical to you and they just 
disappear. Yes, I know where I know where you're coming from. Now, Aperture's long overdue an update, isn't it? I think it is, isn't it? Do you know what I could do for Nick? Yeah. I could make some kind of ludicrously rash promise like I did to Minster about iWork. And do you know what? When I did, three weeks later, there was an update. Mm. So I could make some really ludicrous promise. But if I do, oh. What, like 14 map bites in no, seven days? No, no, don't, don't even say it. Don't even say it. No, <laughs> Nick, I would. I'll think about it, Nick. When I do, that'll be it. It'll be out straight away. Maybe WWDC this year. What do you think? Mm, could be. For Aperture? Not too sure when we're going to see it, but hopefully there will be one. Um, he made a point about GTD as well, which I love. Binned all that GTD nonsense. <laughs> I must admit, I don't think I use GTD as, as some other people do. No, I think I'm I'm kind of binned all that GTD nonsense. I'm, yeah, I store my notes in half a dozen different places. Well, DC, you've already broken rule number one of GTD then, haven't you? True. I also leave milk cartons on top of the fridge to remind me to buy the milk. Ah, it was you that did it. Yes. Mm. Uh, mm, GTD. It's too easy to spend too long organising your stuff, isn't it? That was my problem. You're looking for the perfect system. And whilst you're looking for the perfect system, the world is passing you by. Exactly. Um, I don't spend too long organising it I, I'm i still using OmniFocus and I've just tried uh, the latest beta of version 2 for the Mac it's it's okay I know people are absolutely loving it and I must admit there's one thing in it that's driving me insane you used to be able to you know when you've done a task and you tick it off the tick box was on the left which made sense to me why? <laughs> because on the left the, t- the tick box is always in the same place, isn't it? And it's right next to the task. So as you're reading the name of the task, it's easy to tick it off. They've moved that over to the right to match the iPad version. And that one thing is driving me mad because I always used to have it full screen, you know, focus. So I'm focusing on this one app. And of course, on a big iMac, there's now a huge white gap and it's a varying width white gap between the end of the task title and the checkbox. And I find that it's my eyes are going backwards and forwards and it's just not as fast. Yeah, you can't just go tick, 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 no, tick. No, no. Um, I've got to be very careful I'm not ticking off the wrong one because some of them, you check them and they stay there. If you've got recurring tasks, then sometimes they disappear and you can't then uncheck them and you realise you've checked the wrong one. I can't get my head round that on, on the right. It makes sense on an iPad because the majority of people tend to be right-handed, whether you like that or not. And if it was on the the left, you'd be covering up the text as you were tapping yeah. if you were using your right hand. Yeah. So on an iPad, it makes total sense. It's on, on the right. You can then read and check off. But they've done the opposite in a way with the, the Mac version because it doesn't match up very well. So just one tiny thing, and it's really affecting how I'm using it. Interface-wise, it's a huge improvement, but I, I think I've reached the point that Nick has. It's more important to actually get the thing done than it is build up this huge system around it to get it done. Definitely. Mm, I agree. So I think I might be looking around because what's the, the other less of a significant issue, but be, actually fast becoming an issue, is that there's no online aspect to OmniFocus. So I'm tethered to a device. Okay, it can be the iPhone, the iPad, my Mac, um, but it can't be any other tablet. So I do have a couple of Nexuses and they're really handy, the battery lasts forever. So 
they're actually handy to use and I can't use them for that. So we have dabbled with, oh, the other thing with uh, OmniFocus is you can't share it too well with folk, can you? It's not really a collaborative thing. No, it's a, a single user thing, isn't it? Yeah, when we're working on something, you could put stuff in, in whatever system you use, in you know, the back of a fag packet. <laughs> that one. But if it works for you, dear. Um, and I could put my stuff in OmniFocus, but there's no sharing and tracking and thing. So we've had a look at Podio, which I do like. I think Podio's just got it's not perfect, is it? There is no one perfect system. No, this is the problem. And I, I Nick's given it up, but I'm, I guess I'm, I'm still secretly looking for it. If anybody finds it, let me know. I can spend some more time looking at it. <laughs> but I'm not 100% sold. And I'm, I'm moving towards Nick's point of let's just get the stuff done rather than trying to manage getting the stuff done. He's also found an app I've not heard of, which is called Money Whiz. I'm going to need to look at this. Mind you, I guess you have to have money to use that. Apple have most of mine, you know. I wonder what they use to look after my money. <laughs> but uh, he says there's not too many great financial apps around. I've got to agree with that. Do you know what the number one request I hear from people regarding finance on a Mac? What's that? QuickBooks. Yeah. They want it to work with mm. QuickBooks. And uh, I'm not too sure what the status of that is at the moment. I always try and like, yeah, pass that over to somebody else. Don't, don't do that side of it. And um, another thing that Nick has done, we've got an RIP. Do you want to do your song? Right, that'll do. Yes, he's got rid of Photoshop. Ooh, that's a biggie, isn't it? I haven't got rid of Photoshop, I'm afraid. But I have been spending more time in Pixelmator, as those who are reading the newsletter will be aware. So uh, the alternatives are now becoming very, very good. So uh, take a look at Pix Pixelmator too. So thanks for getting in touch. Always fantastic to hear from you all. Uh, but let's move yes, on. Yes, I think you should tell the listeners about your recent spending. Yes, new toys. <gasps> got to love new toys yes i ordered something rather large isn't it it is rather large yes it's one of the bigger things it's not one of these i got something fabulous for 4.99 no it's a new imac yes i don't think graham will be buying this one. Oh yes i've got to persuade graham graham you need a new imac just just sit back and listen and, and buy Yes, I needed to order a new iMac and um, it uh, arrived fairly quickly considering it was a custom build. Uh, weird shape when it arrived in that box. That was the first thing you said, wasn't it? It didn't look like an iMac box. No, the guy from UPS struggled with it. I guess they deliver quite a few and he knew what it was. But it's got no handle on it. So if you can imagine the size of a 27-inch uh, iMac. What decade am I in 24-inch? 27-inch uh, iMac. And it's uh, obviously got the white Apple box inside, but then it's wrapped in this brown box. No handle, no no nothing. And it was actually quite tricky for him to carry. And of course, he's struggling up the path with it. And I'm thinking, do not drop it. Do not drop that thing. So uh, yeah, box quite weird, to be honest. Um, ben, which made it difficult to get up the stairs as well, mm. didn't it? Yeah. I, I sort of opened the lid and there is a handle on the inside box. But, you know, for the want of a couple of pence, Apple, put a handle on the outside, make it easy for us. So struggle to get it up the stairs, got it up the stairs. Then I had the agonising weight, you know, the acclimatisation. I think we left it there for like three hours, didn't we? Yes. Agony, just looking at it. Yeah, the, the rumour has it. I, I read this on the wall in, in a hardware shop many years ago that with um, monitors, your best bet is to get them out and let them acclimatise to the room before turning them on. It gives you less chance of dead pixels. Well, happy to report no dead pixels. So my agony in waiting worked. 
I, I like to think it did. That was really when the trouble started, once I got it turned on, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> it was not a good time. It was not a good experience for a new Mac, I'll tell you. Um, I had multiple issues, which I didn't realise were multiple issues. I thought it was one single issue until after the event. But the first problem I had was um, I had it sat there. There was only one thing plugged in, and that was the power. So it was attempting to connect to the network and it did connect to the network wirelessly. So that was all OK. Then it just wouldn't get any further. So it was saying you're not connected to the net. And I thought, well, I am connected because I can see I'm connected. But I w it was telling me I wasn't connected. So thinking it was a potential wireless issue, I then had to go and dig a cable out. So plug the cable in, tried again. And it was still connecting to the net so it could get as far as the router but it just couldn't seem to get any further. It could not get to Apple in particular. So that precludes you getting much further, really, doesn't it? It does. So in the end, you then said you had a problem, didn't you? I did have a problem with some You couldn't sites, get to yeah. Apple. Yeah. You couldn't get to Apple at all. So what I did was I changed the DNS. At the time, I changed my DNS constantly between Google DNS, which is 8888, and OpenDNS. They're all as bad as one another, I figure, but I tend to swap between them. And uh, Google DNS would not let any calls get out to Apple. So Mike had the same issue, uh, but I didn't on my other desktop. So you were thinking at that stage, because we'd already had a switch die a couple of weeks back, hadn't we? Mm. Well, a couple of months ago, around oh, Christmas. Yes, I was rewiring at Christmas, that's right. So we thought, hmm, this is looking like a hardware issue, but it wasn't. It was just DNS. Google DNS would not let anything get through to Apple. So Mike could get to the BBC and everywhere else, just not Apple. My desktop could get to Apple, at which point I realised I must be using a different DNS. So I changed the DNS. What could possibly go wrong then? Um, it did. It then collapsed on me again. Now, this DNS blocking of Google, blocking you get getting to Apple, it did happen again. So it wasn't just a one-off. I was doing an Apple TV update the other day and I couldn't get anywhere with that either. I was getting an error about network time not set. And the problem was it was the device sending a request through my internal network out to the internet and it was getting to the point where it was requesting something from Apple and it wouldn't let that message come back. So again, change the DNS to open DNS and it was fine. Not happy with Google. But I thought my troubles were over then. So uh, I'm at the stage at this point where it's asking me for my uh, iCloud ID and wanting to set up everything iCloudy. And that was when the Apple authentication service fell over. I could not get past this dialog box. You learned some new technical terms, didn't you? No, I've heard them before. Ah, uh, those technical terms. Mm. It just wouldn't. It was telling me that the password was wrong, which clearly it wasn't. And it, I couldn't get any further. So I thought, well, I guess I could bypass setting up iCloud. But, you know, like in your head, you're thinking you just want to go through and, and set it up completely from scratch. Yeah. And you don't want to be going in afterwards. And it also, I remember setting up our first Mac and we said to each other, didn't we, was that it? That was a doddle. And this wasn't a doddle. First issue was Google, fair enough. Second issue was definitely Apple. So I started looking at it and I, you like this one, I Googled for the answer. And there's an issue with setting up a new Mac with Mavericks that lots of people have seen that it will not authenticate during the setup. It will authenticate with iCloud later, 
but it will not authenticate during the setup. Of course, by this stage, you've tried like five times, six times, thinking you've mistyped it. And I, I definitely hadn't. I got you to check. I hadn't. But if it rejects you so many times, they'll probably lock your account. We're back to that again. So in the end, having found that other people had had the issue and the only way that they had got around it was to bypass this iCloud setup and do it later. That was what I had to do. I wasn't impressed with that. I thought if this was my first Mac, that's a horrible experience during the setup. But once past that, I did actually manage to get in and see my new toy in action. By the way, by this stage, you know what I was enjoying? The smell. Oh, the smell of new Mac. Actually, I forgot to mention the box, didn't I? That's really sad. I ne- I, never mind that. I nearly needed to knock a wall down. This box, instead of pulling the computer out of the top, it now sort of folds down like origami, doesn't it? Mm. The only thing is you need like an entire room to fold down each side. So you've got the back and the front, but also both sides. It, it needs a lot of room. Uh, yes, but before I could go much further, so I, I checked that it was turning on and everything. And then I had to turn it off. Not something I do often with any any computer, is it? No. I needed to fit the new RAM. I'd bought 32 gig from Crucial. Uh, First off, a lot of people on Twitter said, why did you buy 32 when it's already got eight in it? But the eight that Apple ships with it is in two fours and there's only four slots in it. So if you want to max it out to 32, you need four eights. So it's quite a juggling process, isn't it, with RAM here? It is. So I had to take the, four, the two fours out and then fit the four eights. It's a very different process now with this one. You used to, with both the 21.5 and the 27, unscrew a panel just under the Apple logo at the front. It wasn't, wasn't that tricky. Um, it wasn't tricky to get the panel off. It was more tricky to get the RAM in. Do you remember Jane with a Kitchenalia? Mm. It was quite difficult to push the RAM in as, as hard as you needed to. And of course, they recommended that you pick this thing up and, and lay it glass down. So not happening. But where it is now is behind the leg, just above the power socket. So it's actually quite difficult. There is um, a little panel. Obviously, you know, Johnny, no screws. So this panel is like pushed in, recessed in. And how you get to it, you unplug the power cable if you're plugged in. And within there, there is a tiny little plastic thing. You were quite bemused by it, weren't you? Um, I don't even remember seeing it. I think I was walking the dog. Oh, no, you did see it. Did I? Yeah, yes, because we discussed what I needed to get in. It's a oh. tiny little plastic piece and you need to push it right in. So you need a spludger to do it. I didn't have a spludger. I didn't know what a spludger was. Well, you wouldn't have one then, would you? No. Now, I ended up using a spludger is a plastic device for um, leveraging things off in tech. So the front of an iPhone and stuff like that. I didn't actually have one, never needed one for iMac stuff before. So what I ended up using was the um, wrong end of a pair of tweezers, not kitchen tweezers, bathroom tweezers. No, no, technical tweezers. And um, I managed to get it off with that. It was quite nerve wracking, to be honest, because it's a tiny plastic piece. You've got to put something next to it and then push quite hard. When you do, this panel pops off the back. The panel itself, I thought was quite well made, but I was concerned about pushing this plastic thing in that my dad did that with a radio years ago, you know. You know those things where you have a reset button? Yeah. Quite tiny. Yeah, mm. he, he, he was he needed to push this reset button. And um, Mr. Patience, he wasn't. I wonder where he... Yeah, like reverse that, isn't it? He must have caught it off me. <laughs> um, 
So instead of waiting and finding the, the perfect implement, no, we used a pencil, which was fine un- until the lead broke and jammed in there. No lead in his pencil. There was no lead in his pencil, and um, I'm afraid it jammed in there. So, so I was concerned because I'd seen him go wrong with it. But it did actually work reasonably well. Panel popped off. And I thought, how is this attached? And what it's got, it's got little metal teeth all the way around it, around the edge, that are like spring-loaded. So when you push on it, they kind of pop back in and then come out and hold it like teeth on the inside. So I thought that was pretty well made. Um, Fitting the ram was easier than it was before because now you have this, there's two grey clips, you pull them to the side, a little thing pops down with four slots in and you literally just have to pop the ram into it. Not like last time where you used to hold the top of the iMac and then I had to push like crazy and you really needed a lot of force to get it in and it really like snapped when it was in place. There's none of that now. You just slot it in these things and then use the two grey clips to fold it back inside. So it actually folds down towards you. You put the four sims in and then fold it back up. Then I thought I've got to get this thing back on. How difficult will that be? And actually it was a doddle. So I think all told it's probably easier to change the RAM now than it used to be but it is a very different process that that you would need to be aware of. The other thing that quite threw me because at this stage I've got it on my secondary desk, haven't swapped it onto the main desk yet. They've changed the power cable, not greatly in terms of a standard sort of kettle cable will still do but it's slightly at an angle so if you want it to recess properly into your iMac it's got to be the cable that came with that particular iMac because what I wanted to do was swap it onto my main desk and use the cable I already had. Can you imagine extricating one cable from my desk? Knowing what's underneath your desk. Mm. Nightmare. Well yes and you, you would kindly be doing it for me. No I left it in the end but really to get it seated properly you need to use the cable that comes with it. It's sort of at, at an angle of about 60 degrees I would say. So very different because of the shape of the case at the back. So I will at some point have to do that. And then of course there's my first software. What do you think I went for first? Mavericks. Oh, that was already there. I'd already gone through that. I'd already been through without agony, trying to get the authentication service to authenticate. I don't know. What did you put on first? Oh, what would you put on first? Uh, probably 1Password. Mm, well, 1Password would help me install everything else, but my 1Password data is in Dropbox, so it's sort of a catch-22. So uh, Dropbox went on. I think I installed Dropbox in a weird way, because I asked you how you'd install it, and you said the standard way. So the standard way I'm guessing that most people to go with Dropbox, and I, I still can't fathom why, to download the Dropbox um, installer, install it, log in, so assuming you've already got a Dropbox account, and then pull everything down. I might just have very little patience. We've established that fact. Thank you. But I don't want to wait while it downloads. I think I've got about four gig up there. Why would I do that? Why? No, what I do with it is I make sure that it's on my local network and I drag and drop my Dropbox folder. So I make sure it's all up to date on on machine number one and then I drag it and drop it from there to machine number two. Then I install Dropbox. At the point it says you've got an account, I say yes. And then it says, where where do you want me to store the data? And I point it to this Dropbox folder that already has the data in it. Then it comes back and says, OK, this folder's got data in it. Do you want to merge it? And I say yes, because it's completely up to date. And the Dropbox is installed and configured in, in under two minutes, which if you were downloading four gig, OK, we've got a great connection, but a lot of people don't have. 
why would you sit there waiting while it downloads four gig or however many gig of data you've got up there? Very true. And whenever I mention that to people, it's like, oh, no, no, I don't do that. Download it all. Why? Yeah, I, I did that inadvertently yesterday, actually, with OneDrive. What, downloaded everything? No, did it your way. And, and it works? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, that would have been terrible, wouldn't it, if I'd just gone through and explained all that and you said, yes, but it didn't work. No, it does. It works brilliantly. So uh, a great way to save a ton of time, at which point I could then get into one password and put the rest on. Do you know what I missed most? No. And we've got that, that brain problem again. I'm trying to use Alfred and it's not installed and I'm oh, yeah. convinced that the Mac is broken. <laughs> so no, I've got Alfred installed and um, then realised that my next thing was Keyboard Maestro. Now, what I'd done before my Mac arrived, so while I'm in the it's on its way state, um, I thought I must dig out my setup sheet. And this setup sheet is just like a list of software that I would install. And I found an old one that I'd used the first time we moved Mac operating system. Do you remember when Leopard came out? Vaguely. It's a few years back. 2007. And I got this setup sheet and I'd, I'd colour-coded all my software in terms of what was most important. Mm, you mean you've got too much time on your hands? Yeah, we're back to Nick and, and bidding the GTD rubbish, aren't we? <laughs> I'd colour-coded my software and then sorted it pri by priority. <laughs> Definitely got too much time on your hands. Yes, but it's nice to look back on. <laughs> because Is it? I, Yeah, because I looked back on it and I thought, what survived and what didn't? Um, on this setup sheet, I had Quicksilver. Remember dun, that? Dun, that was another dun. one. No, 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 that's, that's back. Quicksilver's back. No, yeah, it's dead for me. Oh, is that all that counts? Yeah. Yeah, well, Quicksilver was on it. Typinator was on it. I still use Typinator. Still can't live without Typinator. I, I couldn't believe it. One Password was on it. I didn't think I had it in 2007. But yeah, One Password was on it. The stuff that made me smile was the stuff that I looked at. I mean, some of it was like, whoa, don't use that anymore. Um, let's have a look at the stuff that, that was still there. Devon Think Pro's still there. Scrivener. Scrivener must have been in version one, if not beta back then. Uh, but the stuff that I didn't use was quite funny. Do you remember how many browsers I used to have? Oh, the queen of the browsers. Oh, they're all still there on this list. Netscape Navigator, uh, Shearer, Firefox, Opera, Camino, a whole range of them. I mean, Netscape Navigator, I actually liked it. And uh, that, that went a few years ago. I couldn't even remember Shearer. I used that in 1996. I don't remember it on Windows, but I do remember it on the Mac. Oh. I don't know why I had it there. Camino! I barely remembered that. I think I'm going to have to relinquish my browser queen title. Yeah, I think you are. I've only got a handful now. Um, Red Snapper. Used to love that. Red Snapper became Web Snapper. You mentioned that in a, in a recent show. Yeah, that was that was a handy app. I was talking about that the other day. It was great. It was great. Um, but back then, I think it actually worked better. The, the benefit of that was it could capture a page to PDF from a browser without refreshing the page. So if you'd bought something, you could capture the page without uh, sending a request. Now, DevonThink can do that, can capture a page, but it's got to send a request to do it and then it tries refreshing the page and then it fails because it's an active page so web snapper was great um that that must have been a very early version of it uh what else was on the list that, that i i started laughing at oh saft do you remember saft i remember it can't remember what it did it was some add-in for safari wasn't it it was an add-in for safari and i deemed it to be critical and i, I was looking back thinking why was it so critical and i remembered do you know the key feature it offered that Safari didn't until quite recently? No. It was opening the existing tabs. That's right. 
it, that was that to me was the number one feature. It did a lot more, but that was the killer feature for me. And um, that died, I think, didn't it? Because it, it broke every time there was a point update. <laughs> I remember discussing it with Ian, you know, Sweeper. Yeah. It was like, oh, great, there's, a, there's an update out. Hang on, does it break saft? And another one that used to break was uh, the mail stuff, you know, the stuff you had to install, like... Mail Acton uh, and all that. Mail Acton and, and mail tags. So, yes, yeah, saft was a blast from the past. Oh, what else was on there that was ridiculous? Things that I, I didn't even remember. History Hound. It must have been to do with bookmarks. I Dive was another one. And Lostify. <laughs> and I'm looking at these names thinking, mm, these are rating amber in my colour coding system. They must have been quite important. And I couldn't for the life of me remember what they were. <laughs> uh, I think iDive was to do with organising videos and Lostify, I did remember after a while. It was called Lostify. It was for tagging videos. And the person who made it liked Lost. You know that series Lost? Yeah. And he called it Lostify because what he wanted to do was use it to tag his Lost episodes. Oh, we need a 24 in that case. Yes, we do. We do. Our favourite programme. Um, another one was Mail Steward because we talked about uh, mail yesterday, didn't we? And I'd forgotten Mail Steward, which I used to use regularly for backing up my mail. So uh, that one rated quite highly as well and now isn't on my radar at all. Uh, one that is, is Fast Icons. Can't recommend that highly enough, to be honest. It's a free app. And what it allows you to do is drag and drop an icon or an image to this kind of floating area that it puts on your desktop. And from there, you can copy it as an icon, copy it as a graphic. I've not found anything that's as fast as that to do that sim simple job. Just take a graphic and make it an icon. There's a lot of, um, there's Icon Fly, that's a very good one, just not quite as fast as fast icons. It's not been updated since the year dot, but it still works. Uh, Flock was another browser. Do you remember that one? So the, it's Flock the social browser. I remember that. I'm, I think I tried it once and that was it. I was going to say, I bet you never used it. Just a name that rings a bell for mm. you. Another one was Profcast. That was pretty good. You remember it? No. It was to do with making enhanced audio files of um, keynote files. I think it worked with PowerPoint as well, but I didn't have PowerPoint back then. And you did uh, an audio narration and I think you did it while you presented. So if you can imagine getting this thing running and clicking record and then doing your presentation and talking, you know, doing the voiceover for your presentation. When you'd finished, when you changed the slide, it took like a screen cap and put that slide in the enhanced audio file. So it was like an enhanced podcast of your presentation. So it was a lot um, smaller. The, the resulting file size was a lot smaller than making a video file because you've narrated PowerPoints, haven't you? Yeah. And created a video. If you can imagine that it isn't a video, it's an audio with enhancements in it, then it would play in something like QuickTime and it would look like a video. Mm. You wouldn't be able to tell the two apart. That was something that was quite ahead of its time, really. Yeah. I can't say I remember it. You might not have had a Mac when I first got that. Probably not. I reckon it was on the 20... It was probably on the 20-inch mm. and you didn't get yours for about eight months. No, it was very useful, that, and um, it sort of demised, sadly. I think it would still have a use. I can see why it's gone because people will rely on whatever apple built into the software and there is now a narration feature in there but this one did it slightly different so the file sizes are much smaller and they would work on audio devices whereas if you 
pump out a video that will only work on devices capable of video. So I, that's a shame, that one. That one was actually quite quite good. Oh, what else was on there? It was crazy. It was a, it was a trip back in time. One was called Thumbscrew. What, what on earth is Thumbscrew? I have no idea. <laughs> and it, it's, a, it's yellow. Not quite amber, but it wasn't optional. So whatever it was, I found it. I found a use for it at the time. I shouldn't be let loose with software. No. Do you know how how many applications were on my this must be installed or it won't feel like my Mac list? No. 168. Mm. Uh, yes. Luckily, I um, I managed to ditch half of those. Uh, my list now has big gaps in it, but I was interested in what did I deem critical now that wasn't even on my radar back then? I mean, if we say Quicksilver equals Alfred, and I'm still using Typeinator and 1Password, there was one right at the top of the list that I just could not live without. And I didn't install it in 2007. Would be a good quiz question, that. I know you now know the answer because I told you. But it was actually Dropbox. I did not have Dropbox in 2007. And now... It didn't exist in 2007. You know, it might not have done. Can't well, remember when it appears. That's why you didn't install it. Well, I certainly wasn't relying on it. Uh, now it's critical because I have a lot of settings in it. And I deliberately this time, setting up a new machine from scratch, I thought, let's do this right. Which I, d I must admit, I do say every time I set up a new machine. And every time I set up a new machine, it's slightly different than the one before. But I did decide to do it properly, by which I mean move as many application settings to Dropbox as possible. So I've already got Alfred storing its data there, Typeinator storing its um shortcuts type Inator is like uh, what's that other one that's really popular text expander text expander never worked for me that that's another app that hates me it's up there with aperture um so yeah type Inator's, uh, data's in there one password's data's in there and what i decided to do was move as many others there as i could um sublime text was a given which you can get instructions for how to do that online. Um, and I moved Sublime Text 2 settings to Dropbox and Sublime Text 3. And then to make it wor worth my while, I then had to reconfigure the MacBook Air to use it as well. But it does and it's awesome. The reason why it's important for a text editor is Sublime Text is extensible. You can install um, extensions to it that provide extra functionality. And it installs them on the particular machine that you're working on. And then when you go to another machine, you become so used to using those extra plugins that when they're not there, it feels broken. Standard problem. And I wondered if it could possibly, I mean, saving a few settings to Dropbox is one thing, but saving whole configurations there. But I tried it and it worked. So that's made it completely, that's completely changed how I use Sublime now. I only had one machine that felt right with Sublime. When I went to another one, it was like, oh, what have I done with the first one now? I've changed this shortcut and I've installed this. And it was a constant battle. That works brilliantly. And one that I would never have thought of trying it with, but I ended up working again more mobile than I wanted to, was Scrivener. Now, you'd think with Scrivener that all the settings are stored in the files, but they're not. And a couple of the settings that uh, were problematic by not being there was when we were working with Scrivener, we were sharing a file, weren't we? Yeah. And uh, I'd created some styles for text. Now, the styles aren't like word styles. You don't take a style and then change the style and all the instances update. But it does give you a starting point. So we have some standard styles. And I was installing my new machine and I just assumed that if I'd used a style in file one and I opened file one, those styles would be there. And I was actually quite surprised that they weren't. Uh, what you get in your file 
is you see this the styles applied to your text so it the text retains the styles you've applied but from the drop down where you apply it you get the default settings and i tried to find a way to just back those up i mean in my case i wanted to share them with you but i also want the same styles on multiple machines and i found i actually found it on the forum which is unusual for me because if there's a forum to be searched i leave it to you don't i Yes, Forum King. You actually find lots of stuff in forums and I tend not to be able to. I think I, I don't think I type the right words in. I, I probably type in what I would look for and that's not what people have typed in. So you're better at that than me. But I actually found the solution and it was it was a slightly different wording. It wasn't even styles, I don't think, that this person wanted to back up. But they are available within the support folder, you know, your application support. Yeah. So what I did with them was take the important ones that I wanted synchronising and I put them in Dropbox. And happy to report Scrivener is now working across multiple machines with all my settings in constant sync. It's bliss. It's total bliss. Excellent. So uh, lots of folders in Dropbox and lots of symbolic links. So what did I learn from setting up a new machine? iTunes is awesome. There's something you never, you don't hear said often. Um, it's blindingly fast, isn't it, when you've got no content? It is. Yeah, so I thought, oh, I need to set this up because um, I was doing MacBytes, so I need to take the MacBytes file into iTunes and I have to change a, a few properties of it. And I thought, oh, I've not set iTunes up. And I thought, oh, it's OK, yeah, I'll set it up later. So I just went into it with a new iTunes library, nothing in it whatsoever apart from one episode of MacBytes. It's amazingly fast. I think for me, it shows me just how slow it becomes when you put content in it. So if you want to speed up iTunes, can highly recommend getting rid of all your data. Not ideal, but uh, it certainly makes working with it a whole lot faster. And um, another thing that was really easy to set up was uh, VMware Fusion. I have one virtual machine which has got Windows on it. Windows 8.1 with um, Office 2013. And I just simply copied the VM. And you know that thing where you open um, a virtual machine on a new machine and it says to you, did you copy this or move it? I know it well. And you stop dead, don't you, and think, what do you mean? What are mm. you going to do based on my answer? I always say I moved it. Because if you say you copy it, um, I think it creates a new system GUID, doesn't it? A unique identifier yeah. for that install of Windows. And I think that is what upsets the activation into thinking you've installed it on another machine. So I always say move. Now, in this case, I actually had moved it. So I put my VM there, opened it up, said I'd moved it. And then with one eye closed while I squinted at the, is your Windows activated? It said it was, which means it's, it didn't need reactivating, which is how, to be honest, software should be. Microsoft need to come into this century and make licensing personal where it's licensed to me, not not locked to an individual machine. But having it in a VM is better than having a Windows box, really, isn't it? It is. If you need to suffer Windows at all, obviously. Which I do. Creative Cloud was a doddle to set up. That was simple. Uh, log in, download. Don't think it, in, it insists you even install Flash anymore. And the other one that was a doddle was Office 365. So it's a little bit like going into the App Store and just downloading, you know, install, install, install on the apps that you want now, which is a lot better than I remember setting up a machine about 10, 12 years ago, Windows one. It took me like a week. I had to set two days aside to install Office and Creative Cloud, which was Creative Suite back then. But you're, uh, you're wondering, 
Why did I buy a new iMac? Apart from the fact that buying a new kit is always fabulous. There was a reason, wasn't there? It wasn't just gratuitous. Tell them it wasn't gratuitous. No. You've gone all quiet on me now. It wasn't gratuitous, was it? I said no. No, no, once more with feeling. No, dear. That's better. (laughs) My old Mac was also a 27-inch iMac. It was the mid-2011 model. I bought it in December 2011. And it has sat on my desk ever since it arrived, early December 2011, and not moved. Not moved an inch. That's important. Because it broke. It didn't break to the point that I couldn't use it, and it does have Apple Care. It has Apple Care until December of this year. But I can't work without a fully functional and powerful Mac because it's a critical working tool, not a toy. Or so I tell myself. No, it's not a toy. No, it's not. I could use my MacBook Air, but that is not going to process the videos I need to process without melting because I've tried it. Um, I actually found when I was processing video on it that the edit was easy. The edit was fine. A MacBook Air is fine for doing the edit. It was when I came to the compression. It would even export to um, full quality and it didn't do too bad. But you try compressing that and the fans went crazy. So the number of videos I have to process, it's just not viable to be working on a MacBook Air long term because I think I'll do it some damage if I do that. So I, with it having Apple Care, I could have taken everything off it because it's not at the stage yet where the hard drive isn't accessible. That's not the fault. I could have taken everything off it and sent it back. But my previous repairs under Apple Care haven't exactly gone without issue, have they? Not really, no. No. The first one was in 2009 and it took three months before the iMac was functional again. And uh, at that stage, I had gone out and bought another one because I can't wait 12 weeks to get a working machine. The second one took two months. That one wasn't that long ago, I think. A couple of years ago? I think it was. I think it was about 2012. And that one was a dead hard drive and a fault with the screen. So I think the hard drive was probably a simple repair. The screen, not quite so much so. They made a complete mess of it. If you missed that sad sorry tale, there's a MacBytes about it somewhere. But all told, uh, it went away. It went backwards and forwards three or four times. Every time it came back, it had a different fault. There was uh, dead pixels, dust behind the screen, you name it. When it finally came back, they'd actually damaged it. There were tool marks on the case. So at that point, um, Apple replaced it after a a little chat with me. They decided they would replace it. But all told, by the time it arrived, it was two months on. And so again, I can't wait eight weeks to have a working machine. And the fault with my current Mac is, wait for it, an intermittent fault. I don't like intermittent faults because you can guarantee the minute you get it on the genius bar, it's working perfectly. But it has issues, I'm afraid. Uh, What I was seeing was the left hand side of the screen, exactly 50% of it is virtually a line up the middle, is darker than the rest of it. And at first you're looking at it thinking, am I going mad? Is it the light? It looks darker on the left. It also looks darker on the bottom at the left. So going up the screen from the bottom, right at the bottom, it looks like a kind of footlights effect on a stage. You've seen it, you know what I mean, I don't you? I know what you mean. It, it's got like 
light bleed on the edge. If you've got a Kindle, Kindle Paperwhite, and you turn the brightness right up, you'll know what I mean. It's got what looks like a smudge at the bottom. Well, this is kind of a negative of that. It's got like lighter bits at the bottom, but in a pattern, like a doily pattern on the bottom of it. Then it started flickering. So as you're sitting there working with it, it it's like um, like a flash on a camera, I guess. It, it goes bright white for a second, not even a second, literally just flick and you look up because it looks like it, it's a flash on a camera uh, and then it settles down again. But as it gets warmer, actually, the more you work with it, hotter it gets, the worse it gets. And it started going where the left hand side was not exactly black. I mean, you've had monitors with a similar issue, haven't you? Yeah. Which are very, very dark. Did yours come out the bottom or the side? Um, it was coming out the top and the side. I had two problems. No, uh, no, mine's going up from the bottom, definitely. But as it gets hotter, it gets worse. So I thought, well, if this was permanent, if every time I turned it on or, you know, woke it from sleep, it looked the same, then great. But I know what Apple are like with intermittent faults. Or I know what our genius bar around here is like with intermittent faults. You can forget it. And I am not taking an iMac back 15 times with this fault. So I thought, well, what I need to do is get it off my desk so I've got a working Mac and then seriously have a look at it because it is going to have to go back. But you've got to try and capture it on video. You've got to take photographs of it because that's what I did last time. And that was what saw me through with get, actually getting it fixed because they just refused point blank to believe it. Don't you remember I put some photos on the desktop of the Mac I took in to show them and somebody deleted them? Mm, I remember. And said there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Luckily, I had them on a pen drive. I didn't I just have the one copy. But they deleted them and said there was nothing wrong with it. So that's, that's my kind of experiences with it. So I started researching it thinking I can't possibly be the only one. And I can just say I was horrified with what I found. Apparently, this model of iMac, which was the 2011 one, is well known for having issues, so much so it's been known now as the eye lemon. And the symptoms are a flickering of the screen with a dark side. And it is always the left side. So I've seen YouTube videos. I've seen pictures. Looking at it, you would assume it was a physical panel fault. So physically de defective because it's the whole half of a screen. Uh, found a lot on the Apple forums. There was one thread, there was actually about 10, 12 threads, but there was one in particular. It had over 100 pages and half a million views. So I did a bit more digging to see what was going on with this thing. And it's one of these things where you and I live and breathe Mac News. And this had, pro I'd probably been aware of this at the time. I might even have read it and thought, oh, interesting. But until it's your Mac, you don't actually take notice of it in such a way that you think, whoa, stop, that's horrific. But that was the stage I was at. Having done more digging, found one video on YouTube where a guy had taken the, the glass off the front and he'd found the fault was down in the left hand corner. And he found that if he shoved a piece of cardboard between the aluminium case and the front of the panel, it came back to life. So it was obviously something loose on the inside. Now that fix, I'm not, I'm not thinking that's a particularly long-term solution, are you? Not really, no. No, not a piece of cardboard. Another guy did a similar thing, took the glass off, and instead of using a piece of cardboard, he put one of those sticky foam pads on it, you know, like an electrical one covered with electrical insulation. Mm. So it was a proper pad. But again, I don't think that's a, a 
great solution for it. There's obviously something going on if there's so many people with it. And then I found this video from a gentleman called uh, Jerry Sweeney. It was awesome. How awesome was that video? It was brilliant. It was about 20 minutes and the guy's obviously some kind of electric engineer and he had the same problem with his Mac so beginning of the video is him showing you the problem and I thought that's exactly the problem I've got um, and then he said so well his problem was that once this is tending to happen about 18 months in seems to be the commonality a machine around 18 months old both this Jerry Sweeney and one of the other guys that did a video both had two iMacs both bought at the same time and both of them had one at home and one at work and both of them the broken one was the one at work which i'd guess is because it's doing more wouldn't you uh yeah now mine does a lot it's processing a lot of video so don't really have the situation where i've got two that are identical that i can compare with and one's doing very little no mac here does very little does it it doesn't no Th this is obviously the problem actually using them's the problem so um what he decided to do was take it apart and fix it. He'd done the research that I'd done and he'd find, found out what I had done. But he'd gone a little bit further and he had found what the actual problem was. And he was on video dismantling his iMac and going to show you the problem. And it was the best video I think I've ever seen in terms of being completely useful. Not that I fancy trying it. Ah, it, the fix is horrendous to, to contemplate. But what he did was took the glass off, took the panel out, dismantled the thing, put it on the top. And he then very carefully peeled off some insulation tape at the back where there was a ribbon connector. So he had a black ribbon connector with about six cables, six thin wires in it. And the fault is down in the bottom left-hand corner of the panel at the back. And when he peeled off this tape... And he pulled the cable, didn't pull it away. He just wiggled it a bit. And this cable is attached to the panel by a white plastic connector. Now, I've seen stuff like this in computers for years. Um, I actually built PCs many moons ago. And these plastic connectors, they can come away. They can. But they tend to come away if you're trying to change a hard drive or something. So they do tend to be soldered onto the board and as long as you're careful when you disconnect them, then you should be OK. They tend to have a clip on and you need to push that clip in. So think something like a network cable with a plastic clip on the back. As long as you pull that, push it together and then pull it out, it's fine. But they're very easy to snap off. What shouldn't happen is the socket part of it, which is soldered onto the, in this case, the panel, should not come away from the board. That shouldn't happen. Other things, you know, little bits of plastic coming off, but the plastic itself should not come away just in general use. As I've said, it could do if you were to pull it, but think about an iMac and a monitor. Mine has not moved, not one inch has it moved. So it just shouldn't come away in normal use. And what had happened was, as he wiggled it, he said, yes, the connectors come off the, off the panel. So he pulls this cable through and you can see that the end of this cable has got the socket stuck on it. And the socket should be soldered to the panel. So he very carefully takes this white plastic thing off and he's then left with the cable with the plug on it and this socket in his hand. And he turned it over and he said that needs to be soldered to the panel. And you looked at it and what size was it? It was like a thumbnail, mm, wasn't it? It was tiny, wasn't it? And the little plastic thing was tiny and he ha was going to have to get six solder points on there. And when you looked at the panel, 
it was all so sealed up that you were left with a hole and he actually measured it. It was less than half an inch. There's no way you're going to get this piece of plastic, some solder on a soldering iron through this plastic hole without dismantling the whole thing. And he said he didn't want to do that. So what he did was he got six patching cables, very tiny, thin patching cables, and he actually soldered it through this plastic hole. He had to cut it out. Just go and watch the video. It is amazing. But he actually put these cables on and he then managed to solder it to the little plastic piece that has sheared off. Then he plugged this six ribbon cable into it. Then he put all the stuff back together and he said it's not the neatest repair. And I'm there thinking, you know, <laughs> virtually packet popcorn in hand watching it thinking, looks awesome to me, looks a great repair to me. And um, puts the whole thing back together. I think he actually turned it on before he put the glass back on and the machine was restored to its former glory. So the problem with your two and a half thousand pound iMac is what looks like a 10 pence piece of plastic. So that is my problem. At the moment, he, he was saying the same as me. It must have been the heat. The heat has made it shear off the board. But it's a fault that gets worse. It starts off by flickering. Then it starts to go darker. Then you get more flickering. And then in the end, you'll end up with half a screen that you can barely see. And mine along that life cycle of the problem, I would say, is probably about 70% of the way there. So pretty much I either send it back right now and tell them it's got an intermittent fault. <laughs> you know, my blood's running cold at the mere thought of that, you know, because it'll go backwards and forwards about eight times before they admit it. That's the problem. Or I'm going to have to wait a little bit, keep an eye on it. When I moved it, because obviously I then swapped it, my new iMac for, the, for this one with the fault. When I moved it, guess what? What? Moving it seemed to fix it. Mm. <laughs> I turned it on and it looked fine and I thought, do not do this to me because I know you've got a fault. And um, obviously moving it, I'd unplugged it. So it was left there unplugged. It was completely cold, uh, probably for about three, four hours. Once I got it turned back on and I started working on it again, off it went. So it's obviously affected by the heat. So I'm thinking what's happening on the inside is exactly what's happened in um, Jerry Sweeney's video. So check that video out. It's awesome. Worse than that, though, my, I, can, I continued my research with it to find out that there is um, a class action going on in the States. Apple are being sued over this um, because if you are out of warranty, so you don't have Apple Care, they're insisting that it's a £500 to $600 repair which I guess it would be because what they're doing is they're not fixing the problem like Jerry Sweeney did. They're putting a new panel on it, which in itself, uh, if I can get them to do that, isn't without issue because the panel I've got has no dead pixels and there's no trap dust either. If they've got to take it apart and then put a new panel on, there's no saying it's not a refurbished panel that's got issues of its own. I really don't know. So I'm lucky I have AppleCare, but if not, they are not acknowledging this fault. Um, it's actually got its own Facebook page. There is a Facebook page. I think it's called iMac Left Side Dark Screen or something. So there are, and this Facebook page is really great for research. It, it pushes you through to videos that people have done and temporary fixes, permanent fixes, what they're, what Apple are saying to them. So real powerful use of social media, to be honest. But I thought horrific. Once it, you can't hide these things anymore. Apple can't hide from the fact that this has happened more than once because it's out there. Unlike 10, 15 years ago where you're sat at home with a broken iMac thinking it, it might only be mine. 
You know, it might be just just my iMac that's broken. When you can see there are so many other people that have exactly the same problem. Apple, so show some class. Don't deny it. Fix it. Because they did exactly the same with the hard drives. Do you remember that one? I do, yeah. I think it was a 2010 to 2011 iMac. And wasn't it a Seagate one terabyte drive that had an issue? I think it was. And mine was okay at that stage. But we had a friend, a friend of yours from work, and her hard drive went. She took it in. She didn't have Apple Care, did she? No. And I think it was about 18 months old. And she paid to have it repaired because she had no alternative. At that stage, it would have been far cheaper to get the Apple Care, which is why I get the Apple Care. Can I argue EU rules? Yes, of course I can. I was a lawyer. Do I want to? No. Not got time, just want it fixed. So that's why I pay for the Apple Care. But in her case, she paid for it. And it was a good six to eight months later when they then admitted there was an issue. Now, why did they admit there was an issue? Probably because so many people were banding together. But on this issue, they're not admitting it. But that Judging from what I've seen on that video, there is obviously an issue with it. That should not happen. Yes, there are things that do wear out. I mean, I think I have had a Mac Mini where the Superdrive went. I hold my hands up. I did use that Superdrive a lot. That machine did not much apart from burning discs all day, every day for a couple of years. When it went, fine. I accept that. That's a moving part and I accept that it was use but not a screen on a machine that is never moved that has only lasted just over 18 months that cost two and a half thousand pounds no that's not acceptable so i think i'm going to keep an eye on that because i'm horrified i don't know what they're going to do with mine i do have apple care but i'm lucky there are a lot of people out there who have spent the same amount of money not got the apple care and are now facing a huge bill or a bit of a dangerous ride i'd i'd be scared to do that repair what do you think i don't, don't see you trying it no it's not um, it's not something i'd want to try i have done jobs like that i can solder stuff i have built pcs but the the difficult part with that is it's plastic the piece you've got to solder is plastic the area you have to solder it to the board is through a hole about i'm saying just under half an inch square and it's surrounded by plastic now this guy cut it away to give himself more room to work but that is a dangerous repair that is very very dangerous even if you're out of warranty i'm guessing at that stage you might opt for the shove a piece of cardboard down the front stage and leave it at that but not ideal it's actually sheared away so that's what's wrong with uh, my iMac and that's why I have a new iMac but I'm hoping that the old Mac will be restored to its former glory this is going to run and run isn't it it's going to be another apple care woes i fear it is it's sounding like it Ugh, I'll kill it properly first and then I'll report back on what happened. But that isn't the only new tech in the house, is it? It isn't, no. We've got another new tech toy. Um, More than one of them. Yes. Ah, always good. Yes, everything charges via USB these days and I never have enough ports, sockets or cables. Next to my desk, I'd got a power tower. You know, like a four-way, only it's got 10 sockets on it. And I thought, I'll leave this here and I'll use this just for the charging. So I didn't want it, you know, stacked high all the time. I thought, I'll just put my charges in it and I'll use it for charging. And of course, as time's gone by, it's full of hard drives and other stuff. So 
what did I do? Went out and got another power tower. It actually looks like a deformed tree stump now because it's laden with adapters. And the adapters themselves can be expensive. So think USB charging for iPhone, iPad, Kindle, um, in my case, Nexus, and loads of other stuff. And they're around the £15 mark. And you can get a 5 watt or a 12 watt from Apple for £15. I've got a drawer full of these things. I'm guessing you have too. I have. And they're all different power ratings. They're all different sizes. And isn't it difficult to work out on the Apple ones which is which? Mm, that's, I, I just tend to just plug it into whichever one's free. And that's probably why it doesn't work all the time. Well, the 5 watt will charge an iPad, but it takes forever. Yeah, it takes over eight hours. So I did buy a 12 watt from Apple and it does charge much faster. Problem is, you know Apple for, for not putting anything on it like labels and stuff mm. anything useful that can tell you this is a 12 watt it's on the bottom in like one one point font it's very difficult to work out i've actually put labels on the side of mine they're not color coded yet but it's an idea um just so i know which is which so i can get things charged quickly um i've tried a range of alternatives and given up on pretty much all of them we had one didn't we big brick thing and it was a normal you could plug a 13 amp plug into it but it also had two usbs that's right yeah it was quite big it was very plasticky looking wasn't it and it was so slow when it came to charging that was when i spotted an anchor usb power brick at amazon and it was one of these things that you looked at and thought whoa come to mummy um but i thought would it work because it was quite a small box it's about the size of an iPhone and it's got five USB charging outputs on the front. So if you think about a small hub uh, and it has one power cable to go to the wall. So you could replace, in theory, five USB chargers with this one device. So I thought I'll risk it. I will risk it. So I bought one. It is completely awesome. I've got it hidden under a little monitor shelf. I've got um, a 12 South monitor shelf and it's underneath there. It looks just like a USB hub, but actually it's a little bit smaller than an average USB hub. It is fast to charge anything. So all my stuff is, is charging at once. It's brilliant. There are two models now. Originally, there was just the one and it was 14.99. That's pounds. And that was for a 25 watt version. What that gives you is the five slots on the front and each one has a little like name tag written underneath, doesn't it? Yeah. Top one and the middle one, I think, are the more powerful ones that you should plug iPads into. And then what's written on the others? You've got one. One Samsung. One Samsung, one's Android. And I can't that see... That chair needs some oil. Well, they've got written on them what, what they should be used for. But, I mean, there's nothing to stop you plugging an iPad an iphone into an android slot it's literally just the amount of power coming through but after that they bought out an even better one which is a 40 watt version which is five pounds dearer so 19.99 and that what that one does is all five slots are capable of charging any device so you could plug your ipad into any one of them and it's intelligently managed so if you've got one plugged in that uses less power it, it is aware of that when the item's fully charged it goes on to trickle charge so you can leave stuff uh, plugged in. So for me, I have managed to lose my big power tower and replace it with this five port thing. Because with it having just the, the usual ports on it, 
it doesn't, you know, what, what changes is your cable. It's the cable that now decides what that can power. Whereas before, what I had to do with it was keep all those chargers plugged in and then have cables coming out of them to the actual devices themselves. So a huge, huge difference to my charging routine. And my devices are always charged. I do like to be able to get a quick top-up when I need it. Yes, and I liked yours so much that I got one. It sits on my desk. My iPhone actually sits neatly on top of it, along with other devices that I've borrowed from work. My Samsung, well, it's not my Samsung, a Samsung, and... Don't admit that! And a, should I admit to this one, Blackberry? Definitely not, no. no. But yeah, it's it's nice and compact. It's about the, the, the right size for these devices just to sit on the top of it. Yeah, there's also a black one available as well. Uh, I went for the white one. I'm not sure there was a black one at the time. But there is a, a white one, well, whitish, you know, cre creamish, uh, and a black one as well. So I'll put links in the show notes to all of those. Can highly recommend those. Um, it, it, for reference, it also charges Kindles. In fact, it charges anything that's USB, doesn't it? It does. I think somebody in uh, the reviews actually said that they were charging a Chromebook from it. So it charges more than sort of little devices. Hmm. So uh, a good investment there. I was surprised. Mm. It was one of those things where, you know, you spend a fortune on something, you're quite disappointed. Yeah. This was the other way around. I, I spent a little bit of money and I thought, oh, it might be all right. And it, it's amazing. So uh, really, really liking that one. Lots of toys today. But that's it for this special episode of MacBytes, the fifth part of our MacBytes 7 series. Seven MacBytes in seven days. We are hearing of delinquency. You know who you are. Tut, tut, tut. But we have heard from so many of you. It seems that you like a new show every day. This could get dangerous, couldn't it? It could. Anyway, we do love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to mapbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. You can leave a comment on the show notes at mapbytes.co.uk. And do keep sending in your Matt Love Bites. We have a whole slew of them coming up. Leave us a review in iTunes, like us on Facebook and circle us on Google+. You can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash macbytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. No sign of the MacBytes teeth today? I had to lock them away for his own safety. And minsters too, I'd imagine.